0: Hey friends, thanks for coming tonight. It's good to see you all. And uh, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Derek, campus pastor for RUF, here in my 10th year. And i uh, love to catch up if we haven't met, maybe grab coffee if we haven't spent any time together. I'd like to get to know you. Same is always true of Cali as well. We're here for you and uh, love to meet you or get to know you better. This semester in RUF, we've been working through a section of John's Gospel that many people call the Farewell Discourse. Jesus is saying goodbye. He knows his final days are upon him. He's preparing his closest followers, those he loves, for his departure and life without him. We're calling it his last lecture because... You're used to lectures, frankly. That's why I called it his last lecture. Um, And we're about halfway through, and uh, instead of uh, setting this thing up nicely, I'm just going to jump right in tonight and read a a big section of chapter 15. So we're going to be reading John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, and uh, then I'll pray. Let's read. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Great Father, we thank you for your word and pray here at the end of a week, an end of a long, busy, rainy day, that you would be kind to meet with us. In our in our tired minds and perhaps our distracted hearts, help us to see uh, you, Lord Jesus. Be kind to raise up our eyes and hearts uh, to know you uh, better, deeper than we have when we walked in the door this evening. We pray these things. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. In the uh, summer of 1998, when uh, a bunch of you were either not born or just small toddlers, I took a year off from grad, a summer off from grad school and moved home. I drove halfway across the country because I I had decided that I needed to go spend a summer with my family because it was probably going to be the last time I ever lived with them for an extended period of time. I just came to that conclusion I'm probably never going to be home this much again so I'm going to take the whole summer home to love my family. So I packed up, drove home from St. Louis and uh, took up a job working with my dad. Didn't get paid very much but I wanted to spend all day with my dad working so I worked with my dad and I spent time with my sisters. And uh, and then I also did these other things. I, uh, I so thoroughly adopted a schedule that I was gone every single evening. Pretty much every single evening. Week or weekend, I was not home. I also tried my hardest to live 12 miles away in a cabin without water or electricity. Now... You should ask why I would leave where I lived and move halfway across the country to, to live with my family because I wanted them to love them better if I was going to fill up every, every available moment in the evening and then live 12 miles away. You, did you ask that question? You should be asking that question. And it's because it was hard for me to live and stay at home. It was hard for me to stay at home with my family. And it wasn't because of the circumstances necessarily. It wasn't because my family was mean or difficult or always fighting or my house was this terrible terrible place to dwell in. Really, looking back at it, the reason it was so hard for me to stay home was almost completely internal. It was in me. Um, And it was mostly about my expectations. You you see... um, that summer, I hoped to do a bunch of things. First of all, I had plans on becoming huge, just like every summer. This was the summer I was going to add another 5 to 10 pounds of muscle. So every evening, I'd come home, take a shower, go to the gym for two hours. And then also, I was going to get miles ahead in my seminary courses, so I would go to the local coffee shop, which was 15 miles away, and read for hours in preparation. And uh, and then I wanted to rebuild this old house that my grandmother, great grandmother owned. Um, so I had all these great things, all these great expectations that I wanted to fulfill. But why did I have those? Underneath those expectations, in retrospect, I had this narrative in my mind. I think I still do, and it runs sort of like this. And I, I became aware this was in my life, like as a teenager. It's that. Uh, You know, when you're a child, you stay at home and you enjoy the security of home. But then when you're a teenager, you have to start growing in your independence. And then you have to launch out in your independence and and find success and grab it. And then once you found success and grabbed it, then you can find security again. You can recreate some new home in the midst of your well-earned security. That was my narrative. And I was working that thing hard, even on my summer at home. But underneath even that, deepest, I think, was my my strongly rooted desire to be independent. My mother um, had four children. I was the first and the only boy. And uh, my mother's not been known to have a way with words. But once uh, describing me to a friend, she said, You know, you're always told your, your oldest will... Cut the apron strings. But not Derek. No, no. He cut the apron strings, ripped the apron off, and lit it on fire. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's what it was like for me. Fiercely independent. I'm going to do this on my own. And uh, some of you may have had a home where you felt that kind of pressure, not from within, but from without. You know, your dad would make jokes about when you're going to start paying rent. And uh, you would laugh nervously, and then you'd go to your car and find, like, a couple job applications in the seat of your car. Um, Maybe he's not joking after all. Or maybe you're coming from the other situation where your parents say, you can always come home, and you wonder if they ever actually wanted you to leave, and uh, they're desperately waiting for you to come back, and you're pretty clear that you could come home and do nothing for the rest of your life, and your parents would be cool with it. Um, Maybe there's no expectations whatsoever. Here's a question I want us to ask tonight as we approach this text. What are God's expectations of the home that He's building? We saw last week in chapter 14 that He's committed to building a home right here with His people. Between now and heaven, He's committed to building a home with His people. But what kind of home is it? What does He expect? What's expected of us in that home? Uh, we know He's loving, but, but how much are you loving? <laughs> we're going to disappoint you. How do you deal with the, the fact that we're going to disappoint you, Father? What kind of father do we have? How loving are you? Can we always come home? Do we have to stay home? And how do your love and expectations make sense of one another? How are they related? And I think our text is going to give us the, the characteristics, the ingredients for this beautiful, beautiful home that we're supposed to enjoy with God and one another. But the way it all comes together is a little counterintuitive. That we meet Jesus' great expectations only by staying home with Him. Okay? That's so counterintuitive, I need to say it again. Because this is not our cultural narrative. This is not the way we think about greatness or doing great things. We meet Jesus' great expectations only by staying home with Him. Okay? And here's what we're going to talk about it tonight. We're called to bear fruit. We'll talk about the character of that fruit. And then we'll talk about abiding in Jesus. And that's some old people language, so we'll have to spend some time talking about what that even means. But let's start with this call to bear fruit. And just for the sake of clarification, when I say bear fruit, I'm not talking about carrying fruit. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about the fruit of a bear. Um, I'm not talking about naked fruit. B A R E. I'm talking about producing fruit, and uh, it's really clear in our text. If, if, you read, if you listen to me read through the text, you're like, I feel like he's saying the same thing ten times. Yes, that's right. He says the same thing like ten times, seven times. In fact, he makes it clear that we're we're expected to produce fruit. I'll just read verse eight. This is by by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so it's clearly expected of us, again, seven times that those who know Jesus will bear, produce fruit. And in this process of producing fruit, God the Father is not merely spectating. He's not merely sitting around waiting and demanding crops. He's actually an active, well-skilled master gardener. And He does a couple things in our text in the first couple of verses. Um, First, He he cuts back. He prunes. Verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. I accidentally recently did this in my own home. We had this plant that needed some work, and I thought it was going to die, so I just took all the dead stuff off, and it sprung to life miraculously. We're not very good at gardening in my home. And, uh, but God the Father knows exactly what cuts need to be made in order to pr- promote growth and to make room. And so He is skillfully cutting things back in the lives of His children to promote more fruit. He's after more fruit. But He also cuts off there 's not only production, but perishing here in verse two, every branch that doesn 't bear fruit, he takes away in verse six, we see that these these kinds of people, these kinds of branches they 're thrown away like a branch they're, they wither, they gather together they 're thrown into the fire and they 're burned and uh, and perhaps that should make you a little uncomfortable, um, perhaps if it makes you feel any better, you, you should know that they 're already dead they 're dead branches. And so they're, they're, they're dead spiritually as well. Um, but this is what the Father is doing. He is cutting back and cutting off. Because He expects fruit. Uh, uh, if you've been to my home, you've come to the gate which is very frustrating, I know. And, uh, and then you're encountered by this muddy, disgusting yard. The left is mud on purpose. Like, we can't get anything to grow there. The right is supposed to be a grassy yard. And my kids, every year, destroy it. And every year, I replant it. And so, in the middle, then, is usually mud on the sidewalk. And if it's rained, a big, muddy pond that can be, like, 15 feet wide in every direction. That's my front yard. I hate my front yard. I hate and actually, let me add like three bicycles, two pairs of roller skates, and like three mismatching shoes. That's my front yard pretty much all the time. I hate my front yard, except for the Japanese magnolia. We have this beautiful Japanese magnolia tree. And uh, in the spring, so long as we don't have some crazy weather, it produces the most beautiful, glorious, large pink blooms. We have a lot of people walk down our street, and everyone will stop and just stare at it for like a minute because it's, it's gorgeous and uh, when we moved in my neighbor, who's super sweet she's, they're both great um, she's super sweet, she was telling me about this tree and, uh, and how you had to take delicate care of it, I didn't know what she meant by that and how there were very sensitive trees and I know what she meant by that I just knew it was growing onto my porch and squirrels were climbing into my house. Like I had squirrels in the house. Not running around on the floors, more like running in between the floors. Still, not very comforting. So I'm, I'm going to cut this tree back. So I am uh, one evening on a ladder cutting this tree back. And I I spent hours reading about how to cut a magnolia tree before I did this, trust me. But this poor lady, she walks out of his door nonchalantly, looks and sees me and goes, and walks back into her home. She almost bursts into tears because I'm cutting this tree back. Like She's thoroughly convinced that I've just killed the tree. And the reality is, my tree's doing pretty well. You see my tree in the spring? It's still beautiful. If you know how to prune the tree back, it promotes growth. It's okay. God the Father knows what He's doing when He cuts back. And He wants fruit. Both me and my neighbor wanted the same thing. We wanted a beautiful tree. And uh, God wants fruit. He expects it. That means we need to take a look at our own lives and, and, and ask if God wants fruit, do we have it there? And if we don't have it there, uh, this is not bear fruit or perish. It's Well, it can be, but it's more like if you're not bearing fruit, you're already dead. Instead of trying harder, you need to ask God for life. Would you please do something here? And perhaps some of you are saying, oh, That sounds actually like me. I, I feel like I'm pretty close to like dead on the inside. Let's ask the Father to give you life. And some of you may be saying, like, I don't feel like I have very much fruit. Uh, maybe it's just been a bad season. I don't know. It was a, a bad frost um, the last month or two. And uh, But I want to ask you, for some of you to think about uh, another condition that I often see, and I call it uh, spiritual constipation. Um, it's a very technical spiritual term um, <laughs> that I came up with. And it's this. It's where someone grows up uh, taking lots of great truth in from your church, your youth group. You've been taught, and then, and then you come to somewhere like Pitt or a school, and you're very busy, and uh, and all of a sudden, the ratio of intake to outtake r- drastically changes. You stop serving. You stop loving. You stop caring. You stop moving toward people. And, and you get spiritually constipated. And uh, the best analogy I can give for you is a pond. So what ponds do? Water comes in. They don't go out. Ponds are gross. They stagnate. There's not beautiful things there. It's not a lake. It's not living. We're, we're called to be giving, to be producing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit out of all the good things that God's giving you, you will stagnate. Even if you're a Christian. And it'll stink. It'll feel like death. It'll be ugly. And actually, here's one of the great ways that uh, I can help you identify this is going on. You will start having severe doubts that any of this is true. Because the Christian life won't feel like it's working. Because you're not loving anyone. So we're called to bear fruit. And God doesn't just care that we bear fruit. He wants a particular kind of fruit. He's looking into the character and quality of the fruit. So let's look at the character of the fruit real quick. What kind of fruit does God want? And I'm just going to pick stuff out of the text and show you that it's there. He wants, verse 10, this is everyone's favorite word, obedience. Uh, Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my life. Uh, In my love, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus expects us to listen. And this is the kind of listen that your your parents expected of you. You hear what I'm saying? No, no. Are you listening to me? That is the, I heard you and I will do it. Jesus wants us to listen. To obey. And uh, He wants us to listen. But verse 7, He also wants us to talk. Ask whatever you wish. Verse 16. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, Jesus expects that if we are in Him, that we know Him, our life will be characterized by prayer. It will just, it will just be something that we naturally, normally do. We talk to the Father. So, characteristic so far, we listen to Jesus, we talk to our Father. Number three. No, no, verse 12. This is my command that you love one another. In verse 17, same thing. That you love one another. So putting it all together, listen to Jesus, talk to the Father, love one another, okay? Another characteristic, number four, verse 16. This does this might look like a bit of a stretch if you're paying attention, um, but I think the text does bear this out. Verse 16, uh, we're, care, we're called to care about the world. God has sent His people on a mission to save the world. In verse 16, He's talking to His disciples and says, I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And I think in this particular sense, the fruit that he's bearing is not just the fruit in their life, it's the fruit that produces fruit in other people's lives. It's, it's their love for the world producing fruit in other people's lives. It's, it's caring about others. It's, it's seeing other people come to life. So, summing it all up. The fruit that Jesus is looking for, do you listen to Jesus? Do you talk to your Father in prayer? Do you love one another? Do you care about the world and get that, get out there and do something about it? Hey, some of you want to do really significant things. You want to know that your time here is not a waste. You have really clear ideas for success. And I just want to ask, does any of it look like this? Because this is what God looks for. This is what a life of significance looks like in the Father's eyes. This is what a beautiful, fruitful home looks like that Jesus is trying to make. And uh, when it comes to fruit in our lives, or fruit in general, we can, we can be tricked you can be tricked. A couple of years ago, my uh, five-year-old son—I don't know whose old lady's home we were in. It had to be some old lady, because he picked up a piece of fruit, this big, beautiful red apple, and ate it. I was trying to, only to discover that it was wax. And the and the look of confusion on my five-year-old son's face—it was like a look of disgust and confusion. And uh, I turned to him and explained that this was made for wax. It was made of wax, and it was just for decoration. And I clearly remember him asking. But why would anyone ever do that? (laughs) My son asked very good questions. And uh, I explained to him, Look, uh, well, this fruit, even though it's not real, always looks good. And it's easier than having real fruit, which is going to rot and decay and you have to replace This fruit's easy for an accessory, and I think it's really easy for us to have this counterfeit-looking kind of fruit in our life, and maybe think, ah, it's close enough. It's doing. I sort of like people. I sometimes pray to God every now and then when I'm really worried, And, uh, and and maybe we don't have fruit. Maybe we just have these accessories, sort of decor. So we need a closer inspection. Maybe we miss some things. And uh, here's a couple uh, closer inspection. Come on with me, and let's take a little closer look. Verse eight, Jesus says, "By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit." All right, that means we have to stop and ask, "Why do I do the things I do? All these great things that I think I'm doing—loving each other, loving one another, even caring about the world—who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for me? In my resume?" Maybe even my happiness? Or am I doing it for His, His glory? What's more significant to me? Pleasing the Father or pleasing myself? Because I can do good things to please myself, too. Do I care about the Father's glory? And then another question. Uh, what, what kind of love do we love each other with? Verses 12 and 13. Love one another as I have loved you. As one who lays down his life for his friends. Do you love your friends like that? The lay down your life for your friends kind of love. And uh, that might not necessarily look like jumping in front of a car on Fifth Avenue to save your friend. Um, But let's just start with the simpler things. Uh, Are you willing to sacrifice your time? Are you willing to sacrifice your agenda? And your wants and desires in order to love your friends well? To love not just your friends but everyone. We don't get to define who one another is. Uh, here's another one. Here's one that we should think like, "Well, that's great. I really want that one." But when it's a characteristic of real fruit, we're like, "Oh, maybe not." Uh, verse 11: "That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." If one of the fruits, the characteristics of a fruitful life, is joy, do you have it? And not just when things are going well, when circumstances are great, but but do you have joy? that rises above and beyond circumstances. And then lastly, this this prayer that rushes in and asks the Father whatever in His name, that is born only from a bold confidence that that Father cares for you and will listen to you, no matter how petty your concern is. Are you confident, confident that your Father cares for you and listens? I think if you put all these characteristics together hold up proverbially speaking that that kind of fruit and look in the mirror that's what Jesus wants listen to the Father listen to Jesus pray to the Father love one another sacrificially joy peace confidence in the Father then uh, we might come away saying oh my fruit's uh, uh, maybe it's fake maybe it's wormy maybe it's a bad season um So I have bad news, and bad news that sounds like good news. Okay, Bad news is, no, I have bad news and good news that sounds like bad news. (laughs) I always have bad news that sounds like bad news. I have bad news and good news that sounds like bad news. Okay, the bad news is there's absolutely no way that you can fake this fruit. That's the bad news. If you're out to fake it, And just pretend like you can do it. I'll just try hard. You cannot fake this fruit. And and the bad news continues because God still expects us to have it. He still expects us to have this kind of fruit. It's all over the text, seven times. Bear fruit. Here's the good news that sounds like bad news. There's no way that you can produce this fruit. You can't fake it and you can't produce it. But we're still expected to produce it. So how do we get there? Uh, This is our last point. Jesus says in verse 4, Hey, just like a branch can't bear fruit by itself, neither can you, unless it abides in the vine, unless you abide in me. And Jesus goes on to say, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just, Just hear that. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. So we've got to talk about abiding for a moment. And again, this is an old-fashioned word, so I'll give you two other words. If you want a simple one, dwell. Just stay there. Or how about this one? Make a home with. Jesus is inviting us to make a home with Him. And I'm going to to talk about abiding in three different ways with two different pictures, and then we'll be done. Uh, First, Jesus is inviting us into a vital union with Him. First of all, He is the vitality. Verse 1, I am divine. He's saying... Uh, if there is life, I'm it. I am the vine. I am the vitality. I am the deepest root. And uh, in verse 2, he's, in verse 4, he invites us into this. He says, abide in me, and I in you. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And Jesus here is describing that our relationship with him as being one of a vital union. He's the true life, the deep root, the eternal life. And dwelling in him means radical dependence. Just as a, a branch would never willingly choose to leave the vine and expect, I've had enough of life with this vine. I'm going to go out and produce fruit of my own. Uh, you, as a Christian, you should know, this is, this is my life. My life is in Him. And you dwell there in deep dependence. As, uh, as one of our great singer-songwriters has put it, all you have to do is stay. Just got to stay. Uh, so we're vitally, spiritually connected. Jesus by faith. That's what He's after. Vital spiritual connection. When we trust in Him, we are connected to Him vitally by His Spirit, and we're alive in Him. So that's one way. We're vitally connected to Him. We're connected to Him by His words, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Uh, Jesus has given us all these words that we might know His love, what He does for us, how He forgives us and cleanses us, what He thinks of us, so that we would know His love. He's also given us all these words so we can know how to love Him. And He tells us that these words of His are to be in us. These words that have given us life also produce the ability to walk in His ways. So this vital union requires that His words be in us and that we be in His word as well. And then, lastly, he also tells us this is all in the text. Three different ways of talking about abiding: abide in the vine, abide in my words, abide in my love. Verse nine. Uh, I'll read verse. uh, You can read verse nine up there, but I'm going to I'm going to use a paraphrase from a a commentator. He translates this verse this way. It's a beautiful verse. If you have never translated like memorized a verse in your whole life, and and you want somewhere to start, this would be a great one. Um, Verse 9. Just as much as the fathers loved me, there. That's how much I've loved you. Make your home in this very special love of mine. That's a translation from a commentary. Jesus is saying that this love that He has for us is unmatched. It's matched only by the Father's love for His only begotten Son. And we're called to sit in that, to dwell in that, to abide in that, I don't care. Bathe in it. Because it's so good. This is what's true of you in Jesus. So let me give you two pictures as well. Those are three ways that we abide in Him. Two pictures. These are both stolen from a pastor named Rankin Wilburn who wrote this good book. If you're looking for something to read to feed your soul, expand your mind, come take a look at that. He says union with Christ is two things. An anchor and an engine. It's an anchor in this way. You can know that His love, if you're in Him, will never fail. Verse 9, we're loved like the Father loves the Son. Can you think of anything more safe? Anything richer, deeper, and more beautiful? Will you ever find another love like that ever in your lifetime? You are loved by Jesus like the Father loves the Son. Friends, there is no greater security than that. Uh, Consider this. He says in verse 3, If you're you're in me by faith, you're already clean because of my word. He's saying here, I've I've already cleaned you. I've forgiven you. We're okay because of what he's done. In verse verse 15, he calls you his friends. In other words, if you trust in Jesus, you have every reason to rest. You have a sure anchor in his love. This is security. This is rest assured And this is what allows you to have some of these fruits that are just unbelievable joy, like not just when you do well, but but all the time. You have a great love in Him and confidence in the Father's love. And then the second image, that of an engine. In Jesus, you will bear fruit because you are vitally connected to that which is real life. There are great expectations. There are the, 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 the true living life who, who, who's dwelt for all eternity and created the world and took up residence in the world. He's at work in you. He is going to produce beautiful fruit in your life. It's the engine. And uh, that means if we're trusting in Jesus and he abides in us, he will produce beautiful things in us. And his amazing love for us will compel us to respond to him with love we will love one another we'll pray to our father we'll go share the good message with the world i need to tell you about the one thing that will jeopardize this and that is perhaps if you're like me that that strong stubborn refusal to depend on anyone that persistent idea that it's all up to you maybe you don't cut the apron strings and burn the apron like i did But somehow, if you think it's all up to you, you've got to do this all on your own, you will not rest in His love. You will not trust Him as you should. We are called to rest in Him. To stay, to dwell, and then He will work in us. To produce these great works that He expects of us. To beware your own independence. Whether it's you trying to do it all your own way, or just do whatever you want. They're both just as dangerous. So here's my takeaway: Don't think that you can do a little bit of work of the Father, but live 12 miles from home and do your own thing, and think it's all going to be okay. God the Father wants you to move in with Jesus, to dwell, to stay right there, and to find there this life and joy and love. I'm going to finish with a story. Uh, Malcolm Muggeridge was a British journalist. Uh, lived in the last century. In his memoirs, he relates a time that his wife Kitty fell very ill and uh, wasn't expected to live. I'm just actually going to read what he wrote. Um, He was a very good writer. It was a cruelly anxious time from every point of view, each day arranging for someone to be with the children. I went and sat with her. She was fighting to live, her face pared down to her skull and her body a yellow skeleton. And while I was there, a doctor came in and said in the night that she had lost a lot of blood and desperately needed a blood transfusion. It was before the days of bottled plasma. Wouldn't I do for a donor, I asked, with a sudden access of hope. My blood count was taken, and to my infinite relief, I proved satisfactory. And there and then, by a procedure that would then seem grotesque or primitive by, uh, by standards nowadays, I was joined to her by a tube with a pump in the middle, so I could actually watch the blood being pumped out of me into her. And never in all our life together had I so completely and perfectly and joyously experienced love's fulfillment as on that moment, for the first time, I truly understood what love meant. Pretty beautiful, right? It's a little little grotesque. He's right. But this is a really good picture of what the Lord Jesus has done. He gives his blood to make us clean, to give us life, but also to put his life in us. We are vitally connected to him by faith so that he can produce his very life in us. And it would be foolish for us in that situation to think, I can just run off and do what I want. I'll be okay on my own. No, we need to stay. And why wouldn't we want to stay? Has anyone ever loved us like this? Stay in Him. Bear the fruit for His glory, for the world's good, for your own joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the students.